This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. You're listening to Scaling Up Services, where we speak with entrepreneurs, authors, business experts, and thought leaders to give you the knowledge and insights you need to scale your service-based business faster and easier. And now, here is your host, business coach, Bruce Eckfeld. Are you a CEO looking to scale your company faster and easier? Check out Thrive Roundtable. Thrive combines a moderated peer group mastermind, expert one-on-one coaching, access to proven growth tools, and a 24-7 support community. Created by Inc. award-winning CEO and certified scaling-up business coach, Bruce Eckfeldt, Thrive will help you grow your business more quickly and with less drama. For details on the program, visit Eckfeldt.com slash thrive. That's E-C-K-F-E-L-D-T dot com slash thrive. Welcome, everyone. This is Scaling Up Services. I'm Bruce Heckfeldt. I'm your host. And our guest today is Bob Glazer, and he is founder and CEO of Acceleration Partners. They're a global marketing agency. We're going to learn about that. He's also an author. He's written a couple of different books, which we'll talk about today. Previously, Performance Partnerships, uh, and then Elevate is his new one. He's also the author of an email list that goes out called Friday Forward. I encourage you to check that out. We'll, we'll get some info on that in the end of the program here, so you can learn how to get on that. But really interesting content, interesting topics, interesting background. We're going to talk about culture. We're going to talk about performance, how companies can build capacity. I was watching actually a YouTube video by Bob recently about uh, companies leaving and the two-week notice. Fascinating conversation and fascinating story. And I think it was a a beautiful point. (laughs) We would all get very frustrated if our long-term relationships also gave us a two-week notice. And so I'm I'm excited to have this conversation with Bob here. So with that, Bob, welcome to the program. Thanks, Bruce. Uh, Excited to be here. Yeah. So why don't we talk a little bit about background? I know you've been an entrepreneur for, for quite a while. Tell us the story. How did you how did you get into business? How did you become an entrepreneur? Tell us about Acceleration Partners, uh, and then we'll talk about the books and some of the work you're doing now. Yeah, I've been unemployable for probably <laughs> 15 years now. That was actually before I started Acceleration Partners and another business at the same time. That was, and I was thinking about accepting one last job. My friend who was trying to recruit me to a place in California said, "I'm pretty sure you're almost unemployable," and uh, and I think he was right on yeah. that. So <laughs> I think I've always been very entrepreneurial ever since I was a kid. I was very creative, out of the box. However, I was also did not have a very high risk tolerance. And and those two things didn't really go hand in hand. And so coming out of school, I really, I gravitated towards, I, I joined a strategy consulting firm and, and this was right in the internet bubble uh, 1.0. And a lot of the stuff was, um, I was in the high tech practice and that's where a lot of the internet stuff started. I ended up getting involved with a, an incubator and then venture capital and then went operated a business. Basically really realized that I really liked fast growing businesses um, and then and then even helping them and then realize that for consumer businesses, the real key and differentiator and success is if you can acquire customers cost yeah. effectively. Yeah. Um, that really is the ultimate case. So that that ended up becoming my focus. I, my last operating role, I had helped sort of 
come in and grow a business for two founders, found that to be very marginalizing and then decided I'd sort of start my own consulting firm and work with fast growing businesses, fully intending that I would kind of find one of those businesses, jump in with it and and run with it. I thought I really wanted to operate and then realized that all these fast growing businesses, while they're fun to work with, they tend to be like really (laughs) like shit shows. uh, And and, and I really liked having my own business. So then I focused on, you know, building my business and my company and that we, you know, work with growth stage companies on on customer acquisition. So it all it all it all came together and we've been doing this for about let's see, I gotta adjust my it's twenty twenty yeah, now. So for about about 13, <laughs> gonna add 13, here. 13 years now. Yeah. No, it's good. I, and I like that idea. I, I've always said that if I if I want to be part of a shit show, at least I want it to be my show. <laughs> yeah, it's yeah. really like I mean what I come to realize is that the companies are fun to work with. I like yeah. the work, we like the challenges, but they're often terrible cultures and you know they ramp too fast and they lay off and you know we that, that those are a lot of people we work with so we love the work but we prefer our company uh, and work within our company. So I've, I was never even remotely interested in jumping in the end of the, any of those businesses. Yeah. So I'm, I'm curious about this because I think this is one one of the things that differentiates or, or distinguishes, you know, the kind of people that listen to this podcast versus kind of the more startup-y kind of things is, you know, startup is all about, you know, do I have, if I figure out what problem I'm going to solve, is my solution actually solve the problem? Can I monetize it? It's like this early, you know, problem solution fit, you know, kind of yeah. problems. But once you get that, then this question is, how do I scale this, right? And, and I think a lot of companies or a lot of uh, startups end up in this problem of, hey, we've, we've got a product and we've got a solution or we've got a service that, that actually works pretty well and we can make money on, 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 a, on a one-off basis. But how do I attract new customers? How do I really grow the business? And then it ends up being in the really kind of the crux of the problem of scaling a business is finding customers. And, and some of it's strategic, some of it's kind of operational, tactical. But yeah. talk to us about in, in terms of what you found or kind of the keys that you've seen around companies in terms of really grow and scaling the business from the kind of customer acquisition or client acquisition side what are the things that people sort of typically get wrong and what are the things that you've seen as being kind of good practices or best practices around successfully being able to scale this out of it? Because I think that that is that is the problem that most of the people on the show that listen to the show are, are facing. It's like, how do I scale the business? Yeah. And and look, it's interesting. The people from the startup world and the people from the scale up world should like get together and have <laughs> have coffee. You know, one's figured out how to scale and not make money and the other's figured out how to make money and doesn't know how to scale. Yeah. Maybe they can solve each other's problems. Maybe. <laughs> um, but I, it's interesting. If I'm looking at this, you know, not from what we do, just all my experience at a 10,000 foot level, I think that a lot of companies actually figure out one thing and drive that thing to success. It's kind of like if a business is going to work on social, I tell them like, figure out which one works and do that one really well. Don't have a mediocre presence in in a bunch of them. But what I've seen in a lot of these companies is, is they don't diversify. And then their problem is they then they raise money, they act like that can go on forever and they kind of have to grow and then it stops working. Mm. So there's seems to be the sweet spot of like, understand that one or two things really are going to, are going to work and lean into those, but, but also test new things, you know, figure out a new one, diversify, because eventually one of those core things stops working, particularly if it's like Facebook or something else where it's a bidding market. And, you know, right now, a lot of people who've built their models on Facebook are finding that prices are up considerably with all the controls and stuff now. And it's made something that was a great return on investment, fundamentally unprofitable. And if that was 80% of your acquisition, you were in trouble. So I I think you want a couple really strong channels, like you want enough diversification so that it's kind of like you don't have a customer that's 80% of your revenue, but you also want to recognize that it really will be the 80-20 rule. And a few things, uh, in fact, our whole marketing plan from this year was actually stripping down 
figuring out the 80, 20 and, and cause we do a lot and it was like, we're going to do half as much and double down on the stuff that we actually know and can prove that it's working versus we think it might be working. And how, and how do you know that it's working? I mean, I guess I'm curious what the kind of the metrics or the data, you know, evidence that you collect to be able to say, Hey, look, this, this channel, this process, this strategy, this acquisition strategy, this campaign, you know, this one's working, this one's not. How do you how do you tell? Right. So so we're B2B, like probably many of your listeners, mm-hmm. and, and we're pretty advanced in this realm. So we have a full Marketo solution, yeah. which is a CRM that then goes into Salesforce. So every piece of content or channel or event or interaction is captured in our system. We're able to look at sort of life cycle and, and multi-channel touches of a client. So we know that they came to an event and then they downloaded a white paper and then they filled out a contact form six months later and then they talked to our, our, our sales team. Mm-hmm. So we were able to look in that and, 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 you know, we did a lot of things, you know, we tested a lot of events and you need a look back period on that. You know, you can't judge an event by the event. You got to judge the event by like six months yeah. later. Yeah. Um, because y- you know, you could have 10 great conversations and they go nowhere. You could have, you know, what you thought was an average conversation and then someone calls the next day. So anytime everyone asks me about event, I say, I'll tell you in three to six months. <laughs> so, so, so we just look back at the different buckets of, of events that we did, events that we hosted, content programs we had, sponsorships, and all the things like that. And, and it was really clear for us, like two of the channels drove about 80% of the yeah. conversions. Yeah. So, so those become your core. Now, in terms of, you know, kind of experimenting with new ones, I mean, I like this idea that you kind of put out there, which you got, is... Oh, you always have to have R&D. Like, yeah, exactly. I, so so yeah. how do you how do you choose? I mean, I guess, so So let's talk about the channels a little bit. What are there, are there channels that you find people kind of um, overuse and channels that you feel are kind of underused or people kind of forget about that may actually be good? strategies for customer acquisition? Look, referrals is the best. And and I think people oftentimes just get referrals and take them for granted. You know, we have a whole program and we put someone in charge of referrals and, you know, meeting with new partners, making sure they get thanked, making sure we track that we even know. And, And so the difference between just getting referrals and then orchestrating a whole program around referrals kind of doubled our business from referrals last year. So yeah. I think that's a good example of of leaning in. We also try to do things where I think the the tail is long. So let's say we do a dinner with eight CMOs in in, in New York City. Mm-hmm. And it's a really interesting dinner and we have a, a speaker and they share ideas with each other and two, three hours and they all say it's a great event. I'm actually not looking for like to get a sale off that like the next day. And because we've created such a great experience for all these people and really gave them something, it might actually be six, 12 or 18 months later, one of those people moves to a new company, calls us back, yeah. like remembers that dinner. So those are the things that have a long tail. When, when you go to an event, when you sponsor an event, when you go to a conference, like those are the things that like either they work or they don't work. Right. And and, yeah. and so I, I find they're pretty binary versus if you create experiences, if you add value, if you do these other types of programs, someone on our team like went to a dinner, like a private dinner with a with a bunch of private equity guys in their portfolio companies, you know, 18 months ago and 18 months later that turned into two referrals for us. So it, it, it's the type of thing where like meeting all of those people at that dinner it might not turn into business, but it doesn't end up as a zero sum game. No. Having your name on a banner and event, if you don't walk away with something is, is pretty much a, a zero. Yeah. I mean, there's some branding. We've got like seven but, days. <laughs> yeah. So I, we really try to do the things that are more evergreen and that, and that like give us a longer 
window of success rather than, you know, we spend the money and it's like paid search. You either spend it and you get the return yeah. or you don't get now. And how in terms of kind of tracking success on those things, I mean, guess how much do you have to kind of have a plan going into it saying, OK, well, these are the desired outcomes. This is the time frame we're going to look into it. And then how do you kind of track and capture the data so that you actually you can you can look at that evidence or you can see that yeah. correlation what what's well, we we have a five person marketing team and a five person sales team by the time you have this many people yeah. you have the conflict that you want between marketing's tracking yeah. everything and yeah. sales is trying to take credit for everything and like that you know and this is a good <laughs> lead versus you didn't convert it so yeah. like if you have incentive systems and 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 programs in place you will naturally get to that but we try to track everything you know we try to look at where it came from and like i said if most people, vast majority, we have a ton of content out there and they yeah. interact with our website. And when they do that, they, you know, that interacts with our, our Marketo CRM system. And, you know, we're able to stitch together everything that they did by the time they figure out a contact form. So, you know, we understand how they interacted with our with our content. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I think that's the the hard part is that it becomes, or I don't know, the transformation. I think, and yeah, I've I've seen CEOs struggle with this. <laughs> you know, they're very good at the early stage and and just kind of winging it and seeing opportunities and making deals and you know, but then things become more process and more systematized, and you start having to you know define the procedures and having steps and SOPs, and then you want to collect data around right. that. I, mean, I guess how do you do you see or do you think that there's some leader and some CEOs that are just more able, more sort of naturally able to make that transition and, and for others it's harder? Or what's what's your observation having worked with companies in this space? I mean, if you have a true CEO, they should be all four systems, right? Mm-hmm. Because they take the place of individual failure and they don't take the place of people, but they take the place of like people breaking down, mm-hmm. you know, the system. So I haven't seen a really good CEO, you know, not be in favor of scale and process unless they are controlling all of these things and they're a micromanager. If they have a head of sales, they want their head of sales to have a process and a playbook and all these things because yeah. frankly, like that also de-risks the, the head of sales and, and, and makes it more repeatable. I think the problem is when they're substituting their knowledge for all these functions. But we we try to have a core process for for everything. And what we say is it's kind of like a like open source software in, in terms of like we have a best practice for everything. You should use that. If you have a way to make it better, then improve the process for everyone. Like yeah. we don't want to say like we don't to ever say this is the process just follow it it's follow it if you don't have a better way because this has been proven to work 90 percent of the time but if you can make it better make it better and we'll upgrade the the software for everyone yeah yeah i like it and so tell us about the kind of clients you typically work with and and what your kind of i guess what what programs are you are you yeah. generally working with them and what kind of results are you generating so so we're sort of a big fish in a small pond in terms of our industry so we work in the affiliate and partner industry which is about 20 percent of all e-commerce just not as as discussed. So mm-hmm. instead of buying a Facebook ad or buying a click or an impression, we build partner programs or as they're now called, you know, it's been called affiliate in the past where we go recruit tons of partners, use a tracking platform and the clients are kind of large enterprise retail brands. So you could think of like an Adidas or a Target or an Uber or an eBay or someone like that. Mm-hmm. And, and they go recruit hundreds or maybe thousands of partners who sign up to be part of their program, who get access to their catalog. They agree to sort of a, a CPA payout, so a cost per action, so maybe a percentage of sale, a qualified lead or otherwise. And those partners can market and do whatever they want. It's all tracked through the tracking platform. And then the brand only pays 
for the outcome. So instead of paying for the advertising, they pay for the outcome. So we kind of build and manage these programs. And, you know, there's a large push towards as brands are going direct and everyone's going direct on rather than brand advertising and brand marketing, really performance based marketing. So there's a big shift into dollars in our areas because our our clients actually pay their marketing spend after they get the sale or the lead. (laughs) So if you and I have an agreement. So as an example, you know, you could sign up right now and become an affiliate of, of Amazon. And we're done with it podcast, you could link to my book in your podcast and make 5% if someone clicked on it and, and, and bought it. So, uh, you know, you're, you're, they're paying you after they, after they get the sale. Mm -hmm. So, you know, it's a pretty good way of, of, of allocating your marketing dollars. Yeah. Well, and it's, I I like that idea that it's performance based, right? Like I I pay for results, not for kind of activities or for impressions and things like that. There's, there's some risk sharing. So, um, you know, you provide your materials and strategy and stuff that the publishers can use, but they take a risk, they use their space and you're, you're kind of in it together. Yeah. And is, do you see that as being kind of a growing trend or more companies looking for these kind of these kind of marketing programs that are more paper yeah. performance? Yes, uh, there's been a huge we've been huge benefactor. In fact, as I've I hung out with some of my friends who made in brand agencies last year, they're having pretty tough years. This stuff all swings. And they were like, all of our budget's going to the stuff that you're doing now. Because if you think about it, so let's just even take like Procter and Gamble, you know, maybe a few years ago, their budget might have been in banner ads or they're, you know, they're not selling stuff. They're budgeting for the channel. So they're, they're giving money out there and doing more brand advertising. Well, now if they have a Gillette, you know, direct shave club subscription service, you know, that, that budget is shifting from brand advertising to, you know, direct market advertising and performance based. So the majority of the brands out there are going directly to their customers. And so the budgets are shifting from brand to performance. Yeah. Any thoughts or insights for folks that are on the sort of service based companies, whether it's professional services or, or other types of services, you know, opportunities that you see that they could use in terms of this performance-based marketing, you know, whether they're programs or strategies they can play internally? I, I, yeah, measurement. I mean, I know I worked with a great PR firm a few years back, really liked them. And they'd always send us something saying, this was equivalent to X thousand dollars of spend in a magazine. And I was like, but, but... <laughs> We wouldn't have spent ten thousand dollars in a magazine. Like, how many people saw it, or clicked on it, or interacted with it? Their their metrics were just so old. Like, it was ridiculous to be sending. It was like kind of equating online news to inches of of ad space in a magazine. So, I think people need to make sure they upgrade their their metrics and understand that you know people are looking to see results. You know, first interaction. I mean, clicks maybe, but yeah. but they're looking to understand how people interact with their stuff and. And I think the standards and thresholds are just increasing there. So if you're if you're not using metrics or you're really using old school metrics, you, you are probably going to be called to task on that uh, sooner, if not later. Yeah. Yeah. One, one exercise I always love doing with clients is, you, you know, taking the, their best clients from the last year and just kind of doing the trace back and saying, OK, well, where did you know, where did you get them? <laughs> like yeah. what, what are the activities? What are the events? What are the things you've done? You know, was it because you're both members at a club? Did you go both to the same school? Did you participate at the same conference? Were you on a panel together? You know, just kind of tracing those back and sort of seeing what kind of patterns and what kind of, you know, correlations can we make and and that I can, you know, it's interesting. I just, Companies typically don't do that part because they don't take the time, and part because it's you kind of have to dig back into history. But um, you know, it can gre- create some great insights in terms of where where are you really getting your best customers, and and where might you find more of them. 
And it's mostly uh, it's mostly referrals in a lot of cases. But as I said, you're saying, oh, you got referrals. Great. Did you thank that person? Did you acknowledge that person? I mean, it's absolutely amazing to me that people will spend 10 to 20 percent of a sale on a salesperson. And when they get a referral from someone, they don't think of sending them a nice dinner, acknowledging it, yeah. thanking them. Uh, you, you might know our friend John Rulin. You know, yeah, I was real, just going to mention John. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. really big. Go knives. Yeah, yeah uh, giftology, and not yeah. also not making it super transactional, but just yeah. you know letting them know. Like we're very formalized around that. I, I just I am so amazed how many people just take these referrals for for granted and or haven't built like you know a dashboard out around them and said oh yeah. who are my best referrers and what yeah. did they give me and and turning it into a channel that's managed by someone with kpis yeah well and the other one is once once you have identified a couple of people that are, are referring business is where can i find more people like that right so you start right. identifying like what role do they serve what kind of capacity do they have you know can i find more of them if you're getting a lot of referrals from lawyers of a certain type like go find more of them yeah no good Good advice. Um, I, I, yeah, just a totally under <laughs> under appreciated uh, channel, I yeah, think, in terms yeah. of people people acknowledging at least those referrals. Yeah. Well, any any other strategies acknowledgement? I mean, I, you know, the the gift cards, the dinners, the you know, those things are certainly good ones. But is there anything that you've seen in terms of people using kind of unique and innovative ways to, to provide I, appreciation? I think, I think FaceTime is really important. Like we have found that someone could be a partner that can know about us. When we have a meeting, when we have a check-in, when we have a coffee or a lunch, we usually see a pickup in referrals right after that event. Yeah. It's like we're top of mind, something else. Just because they've referred to you doesn't mean they can't refer a lot more or yeah. you can't be top of mind. And this isn't even, you know, bribing them or getting them a gift or anything like that just the FaceTime. So yeah. we have a regular cadence set up on checking in with our partners, connecting with them in person. We always choose, I mean, first choice is in person, second choice is video call, third choice is, you know, audio call. Yeah. 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 I do. Um, I host drinks once a month at one of my clubs here in New York. And, and that has, that has been key for me that not only to have FaceTime, you know, so I get, the, you know, the people that I do business with and that, you know, promote me in various ways. It's a chance for me to sit down and, you know, have drinks with them. But because I'm doing it with a couple of folks, now I'm connecting them with other other, you know, interesting like-minded people. So there's actually this kind of double value. It's like I get FaceTime, but they also get to meet other people. And so I'm like adding value to their network and stuff. And that's been, I started that maybe three or four years ago. And that's been hugely hugely beneficial <laughs> to, to yeah, the flow and of business. And then the next week, someone's asking about a coach and they're like, oh, yeah, exactly yeah, 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 pretty. Exactly. So, so that's what we've seen is that yeah. it really really makes a difference. Yeah. Uh, let's talk about some of your content. Are you writing a lot? I know you do Forbes and Entrepreneur. You've got Friday Forward. You've got the books. Where do you want to start? I'd love to understand more about why <laughs> the content, what you've developed, what you're most passionate about right now. Yeah. So the content for me is is really sort of towards my personal kind of why. And that is mm-hmm. trying to figure out a better way and, and then share it. And and what I, what I enjoy doing is sharing ideas that help people and organizations grow. So we've, we've tested and tried and done a lot of unique things at Acceleration Partners. And when we find something that that works or we feel like everyone should we be should be doing, you know, mm-hmm. then I tend to write an article about it. And when it's a much bigger program, uh, like something around the two weeks notice, you know, we did a yeah. TED Talk or our dream granting program, then I start thinking about writing our capacity building, kind of writing a book uh, about it. And, and because I just think there's so much potential for both individuals and organizations that are tapped out there. And I am good at rolling things together in a framework, right? I come from this from 
from the have done it world, not the academic world. Yeah. But but I'm able to sort of package it up so that other people can access it. Whereas a lot of the thinking today is very academic, but isn't necessarily showing you how to how to use it in in, in real life. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so tell us about Elevate, because I know that's your most recent yeah. one. Um, really about personal personal limits, personal success. W- it was, was there a particular experience that that kind of uh, inspired you to actually put this into book form? Uh, this has happened over time. Uh, tell us a little bit of the backstory and let's talk a little bit about what's in the book. Yeah. So so Elevate actually started and came out of something called. So Elevate actually came out of something called Friday Forward, which was an email that I started. I've also been saying four years now. It's probably five years ago to my team when we were about 30 or 40 people and distributed. And I had just come back from an EO leadership training and there was a lot of focus on morning and morning routine and, and reading something positive. And I loved the concept, but the stuff that we were kind of given to read was a little too uh, rainbow and unicorny yeah, exactly. um, for me. So I decided I'd write something every Friday that was sort of a personal inspiration or challenge thing. I think I called it Friday inspiration. And it would just be, it would be a story or a theme and it'd have, and then eventually I started adding a quote and kind of had an example. And I just sent it to everyone in the company. And I didn't even know if anyone was reading them or paying attention. Yeah. But I started getting notes back saying, oh, I really love these. I did this or I shared it with my dad or my husband sent this to his company today. And and I was actually at an EO event a couple of months after I started and we were talking about best practices with some other CEOs. And I said, you know, I've been sending this note and I've gotten a great response. It seems like a really good way to just engage with your with your team. People said, oh, well, send it to us. And um, so one of the people started his own uh, in that group and mm-hmm. a couple of others like good entrepreneurs said, oh, this is great. We'll just send this to our team. Uh, every week. And then I wondered if it would have other external value. People were asking me to be added to it. It was just literally a BCC. The old ones, I didn't, you know, they were just kind of in my email. So I I set up a, I bought like a $50 WordPress website and I put the (laughs) old ones up like on a directory and I decided to pick Friday Ford because it was being forwarded and that's the name I used. And when I set up the newsletter list, I threw on a couple hundred other people and family and friends and expected like, what the hell is this? Like, take me off this. Um, (laughs) Unsubscribe, unsubscribe. Yeah. But but then I got the same thing where people like, this is great. I love it. Forwarding it organization. And a couple years later, I had over 100,000 people in 60 countries signed up for this Friday Ford. And so I started a a compilation book about Friday Ford stories. And I talked to a bunch of agents and they were like, yeah, no one likes compilation book. Um, <laughs> and uh, so it's not going to work. And so I was just going to self-publish it. But then I then I talked to an agent who said, yeah, it's true that no one likes these books, but I think you actually have a story behind this. And yeah. You know, our, since I had started Friday Ford, our business was really growing and doing well. We were winning all these cultural awards. You know, my life since that leadership thing had had really started to change as I leaned into this. And what happened was I, I sort of sat down. I started writing. I started to figure out what are the themes here. And I realized that the strategy that we had used to grow our people and our, and our organization and win all these awards, the strategy that I had used to sort of improve my own life and 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 the, the reason and the themes of why Friday Ford resonated um, with all these strangers that I didn't know all revolved around the same thing, this notion of sort of building capacity in others and, and, and the four themes of capacity building, which were spiritual, intellectual, physical, and emotional. So Mm -hmm. the book 
it wasn't a book I sent out to to write, but two to three years after, I mean, it's not a long book. So for two to three years, I was looking today, I think I had like 35 drafts or something like that. I was <laughs> kind of, I rewrote the book like three times, um, but yeah. I really was like, oh, this, this capacity. And then this is the thing for me, I think what I'm good, like there's a lot of existing ideas, but uh, able to pull together in a framework that was really accessible. And I think makes it easy for people to understand where they can improve, how they can improve and where they're kind of out of balance or which area is really holding them back at this yeah. point. Can you give us an example? Of, of one of the concepts or suggestions that you, or one, one that you like the most in terms of things that are in the book? Yeah. So um, just quick overview of each. So spiritual capacity, it's not religious. It's, it's sort of who you are, what you want most, what your yeah. core values are. Intellectuals, like how you learn, plan, think, get better, like how you improve your operating system. Physical is your, more like it sounds, your, your personal health and wellness. And then emotional is sort of how you deal, how you relate to other people, the world around you, things that you don't control. And if you think of these as quadrants of a ball, I think as you build each of these areas, it gets bigger, it gets more momentum. If any one of these is really uh, out of alignment, um, it's hard to, to, to have high performance. And when I also looked at all these high performers that I really admired and what they were doing, I found it fell within these, these themes. So I think one of the things for most people, one of the trainings that we actually do with our leaders at Acceleration Partners, and this goes to spiritual capacity, is we help them identify and articulate their personal core values. Mm, nice. Because I think it's really hard to lead and or lead authentically if you're not clear about that. And you and I probably know a bunch of people in life. Like I, my example is like, if you're spiritual, capacity is off, but the other ones are really good. You're probably like working really hard and, and, and have gotten really good at something that doesn't bring you any enjoyment yeah, exactly. or, yeah. or fulfillment. Yeah. Probably with some external, you know, parental view of success or the outside world or doing something that you should have done. So for a lot of people, I really encourage them to start with a spiritual capacity, understand their values, what they want, because that really aligns everything else behind it. So now if I know what I want, now I can set my long term goals. I can get more discipline because I'm excited about getting that. I, it gives me a reason to focus on my health and wellness, the type of people I want to relate to you know, where I'm going to be resilient because I'm really driven and it, and it brings all that stuff together. So I, you know, each one, I could give you an example where, you know, what does it look like when you get out of whack? But I, I, to me, it starts with, you know, if you understand your values and what you want and you make decisions around that, I, I have a bunch of friends, you know, midlife crisis stage <laughs> and around that. I, I think the ones that are struggling the most have made decisions in the last five or 10 years that really weren't aligned with yeah. their values. Maybe yeah. they were about money or it just got, it got easy or it was, you know? you know, hard to leave. And particularly in a few cases where they really stayed in a situation against their values, it didn't end well. Yeah. Well, and I think people get caught up in kind of measuring success based on some external or other people's set of kind of measures and not having that internal, you know, sense of what, what is really important to me and what does success look like for me, you know, spiritually or universally. I mean, what is driving my entity? Right. Uh, right. And if you don't have that, I always say it's, there's a difference between work and flow, right? Like wor work is when you're doing things you really don't want to do, but you have to do and you're doing it very hard. Flow is when you're you're working very hard, but on something that you love and you're passionate about and it doesn't does not feel like work at that point. And so I think that that whole idea of the the spiritual side is is a great way to kind of capture that. And you're doing a podcast against this as well. Tell us about Elevate Podcast. Yeah. So in Elevate Podcast, I interview people really a lot against these themes who are doing pretty extraordinary things in 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 the different capacities and are just sort of breaking the mold of of performance and high performance in in different areas. So I've definitely in the last month, I've in the last six months uh, been really focused too on you know almost you can almost categorize uh, each episode 
episode according to a capacity or so. So if you read the book and you're looking for, you know, more examples of how do I improve my spiritual or physical, there's going to be some good content related to that. That's great. So we're going to hit time here. If people want to find out more about the books, about Friday Forward, about podcasts, what's the best way to get that information? Yeah, the good news is all in the same place. So uh, <laughs> well everything everything is now at robertglazer.com, G-L-A-Z-E-R.com. If you Google Friday Forward, you'll find it, but you can find the podcast there, the book there, Friday Forward there. And if you're interested in in, in what we do from a business standpoint, uh, that's Acceleration Partners or accelerationpartners.com. Excellent. I'll make sure that those links are in the show notes so people can click through and get that information. Bob, this has been a pleasure. Thank you so much for taking the time. Great takeaways for our folks uh, and, a, and a great conversation. Thanks for having me, Bruce. You've been listening to Scaling Up Services with business coach Bruce Eckfeldt. To find a full list of podcast episodes, download the tools and worksheets, and access other great content, visit the website at scalingupservices.com. And don't forget to sign up for the free newsletter at scalingupservices.com slash newsletter. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.